This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Adam and Eve. Don't move, you man, you. Cover your body with me. You're sophisticated and dangerous. You're slightly aloof, yet you have the hint of a pulsating virility. You're wearing Adam and Eve, the man-sized perfume that can carry you from Marylebone to a rooftop terrace in Kensington. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Ground thought, humory, stationary dancers, wigs and haberdashery, get you I'm Brandon. <laughs> and I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? I kind of threw you there, didn't I? I did a new I'm Free. It just freaked Mr. Jeff out. Uh, our special guest this week is uh, Harvey Firestein. <laughs> thank you, thank you. See me on a Broadway coming up in September. <laughs> My voice is rather low this week, you see, unanimous. <laughs> Couldn't really hit that high note with the uh, uh, Humphreys, I'm free. I'm so. free. No, I can't do it. I sound like um, Grover? No, he he's cuter. More like Cookie Monster, without the cookies. yeah. Yeah, something Cookie, like that. Cookie Monster after a sugar crash. How about that? Voice aside, how are you doing this evening? Mr. I am Brandon? doing well. I am doing well. Um, we got the pilot out. We went into the deep dive, um, cryogenically frozen, um, like nuclear blast prepared bunker where we have all of their, the seed banks and, you know, all of the original Constitution copy down there and our pilot. The recipe to uh, the 11 herbs and spices from KFC. And Coca-Cola, yeah, and PepsiCo, right. yeah, you know, all that stuff. So we're able to... Yeah, you might, as well, you, you might as well put it back in the bunker. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, frankly, honestly, I think the deterioration of the, of the magnetic tape actually did, did it some good, <laughs> actually. Um, I had forgotten that when we when we tested out that we actually didn't talk about the episode <laughs> that we just introduced the character. I know it was like let's call it the pilot and let's just kind of rap about who Mr. Humphreys is and what is you know blah blah blah. We never actually discussed the pilot, so technically we could still do a future episode on the pilot. We could, we could indeed, Mr. Brandon. So that's a good so. one. But yes, it was really cool to like. Listen to how crappy it sounded, and we really have, you know, to, not to, to to boast a little bit, but uh, I think we've we've come a long way since we did the the pilot. You've come a long podcast. way, baby. How about that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of new fans along with us <gasps> that have joined us for the ride. We want to welcome Les, Dave, Miriam, Park, Mer- Mercy, Ryan, Curtis, Amanda, Bianca, James, and Stefan. You've all done very well. Thanks Hello. for liking us on Facebook. We got some cool feedback from a, a super fan, unanimous listener on Facebook named David. Did we not, Mr. Jeffrey? We did. We did indeed, Mr. Brand. We did. <laughs> and he wrote in to let us know that um, on Desert Island Discs, which is a program, a long-running program on um, BBC Radio 4, oh, okay. where they interview a celebrity. And like one of the main points is if you were stranded on a desert island, what would be the music you'd want to have with you, right? The but then they got- theme song. <laughs> but then they go into like you know, their their career and whatever they're plugging now, whatever. Yeah. When Wendy Richard was on, this was when she was um, playing Pauline Fowler in EastEnders. Okay. 
And when she started, she gave EastEnders a list of the makeup that she used on Are You Being Served because it was cruelty-free. It wasn't tested on animals. Okay. So that might have been the reason why she wasn't in blackface. Not so much, you know, and who knows, maybe the, um... You oh, know, you're talking about the Roots episode. Oh, about okay. Roots episode, sorry, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, maybe that was part of the reason why, as in, in addition to not wanting to do it, because there was the whole other urban legend about her protesting and BBC wanting to fire her and she called their bluff on it. So uh, uh, thanks for that little speck of information, David. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I mean, I would love to think that she was like, no, this isn't right. I'm going to, but who knows? I mean, um, yeah. it, it's a lovely idea and it's cool that we, I mean, it was nice that in the episode there was someone who didn't wear it. So that at least it sparked that conversation. Well, maybe this is why she didn't and da, da, da. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, David. Yeah. And we've got Madam Con coming up in just <gasps> under a month. Woo! Saturday, yeah. July 17th in Central Park, Manhattan, New York. Sadly, the Javits Center was booked. <laughs> we tried. We are still scouting out locations, so we will give all of the details uh, pretty soon on Facebook. And if you are interested, please email us in and let us know so we can get a good head count and make sure that we've got... Uh, enough copies of our of our script and our notes for the day so yeah so we have um that does suit madam con and in true internet style we shorted it to madam con right and that's we're not saying madeline con who is the late great fabulous <laughs> actress maybe is she we no can, longer with us no she passed away like several years ago yeah uh, too bad but uh if you've seen clue she's the one who says Flames all, flames, flames all over flames my face. Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> she's so funny. Um, but she's an amazing actress, and she passed away, I think, of cancer, maybe like 15, 20 years ago. But, oh, wow. Um, okay. Madam Con, Madeline Con. So that's a joke. If people are <laughs> making T-shirts who are coming, that would be a good T-shirt. Maybe Madeline Con with the frills. I don't know. <laughs> but um, we have uh, one guy saying he's going to go, and to protect his privacy... I won't say his name, but I'm looking forward to seeing you, mystery man. Uh, And then five other people are interested. So that's good. They like us. They like us. But it's quite exciting. And uh, we're going to do a live live recording of which episode? The Hold Up. And that's (gasps) the one with Italian Tony. So if you come, you'll be an instant guest host. We'll we'll ask you, everyone who comes, to watch the episode, like, so you kind of remember it. I mean... My God, it's such a great episode. Everyone probably already has it memorized. And we'll right. just talk about it. Like, if you've ever heard an episode where we have a, 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 a co-host, we'll just go through it. And, you know, Mr. Jeff and I will kind of guide it through. And if you have something to say, you'll say it. And we'll have, like, I don't know, 10 or 20 co-hosts. That'll be interesting to see how that works. Absolutely. But it'll be fun. It'll be really... It'll just be cool, like hanging out with dudes and dudettes and everyone people and and, yeah like yeah we're really looking forward to meeting all of the unanimous in the greater new york city metro area and anybody that might be here on vacation or for work or visiting family or whatever it'd be really great to see you all in person what a great way to come out of the pandemic besides attending the first annual madam con Oh, oh, it's just gonna be a yearly thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, <laughs> we also encourage everyone to be vaccinated, and it is outdoors, so that's good. Um, so you wouldn't have to necessarily have your um, masks on, so that's nice. Right. But we still encourage you to wash your hands, and as always, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Yes, indeed. 
All right, so Mr. Jeff, um, do we have any other housekeeping things to talk about? No, I think we could dive straight into the app. You know, one thing I think I might do to bring people in, you have to, you have to if you build it, they will come. All that right, that just dreams. came to me, that phrase. I should write that uh-huh. down. They could mm-hmm. use that in movies. Um, <laughs> do you think it would be a draw if I bring my um, Mr. Rumbled ashtray prop from the show? <gasps> oh. As, and we could put it like on a pillow, on a pedestal, under glass. Do you think like, like the um, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast rose? Do you think that will bring people to the, to the event? Isn't that know. quite heavy to carry around? No, it's actually quite small. But I mean, I would have to have my armed security guard people bring it and like stand next to it the whole time. Right. You'll have to. You'll have to get it out of the vault in northern Mississippi. I'll, I'll contact the FedEx people. Okay. Yeah, okay. I officially decree that we will have an original Ari being served prop at the event. And if you give a small donation uh, payable to Mr. Brandon, you might even be able to take your picture with it. How about that? <laughs> and even place it in your non-worthy hand for the, for the, um, for the photo. That, then you definitely have to wash your hands before you touch the prop. Because <laughs> that thing is really dirty, let me tell you. <laughs> the, backs, uh, the back rooms of uh, BBC storage warehouses are not a clean environment. Gotta say, people. <laughs> So, Mr. Jeff, what are we what are we yammering on about for this week? So tonight we are talking about the series premiere of season nine, episode one, "The Sweet Smell of Success," mm. and this originally premiered on April twenty second, nineteen eighty three. So we have fast forwarded about a year and a half. Okay, so for a year and a half, people episode. did not have Ari being served on the TV. No, no, what a, it was what a, a, what it was a dark, dark time for our society. Yeah. Um, but, uh, at that time, the top of the Billboard 100 chart was Come On Eileen by the Dexys Midnight Runners. And the top of the okay. UK singles chart was Let's Dance by David Bowie. Okay, so it wasn't too dark. At least they had some cool music <laughs> going on. Yeah. And so that week in the news, um, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. He was a magician that would do stunts or like live television, do things like that. And uh, I guess yeah. he somehow, through the magic of television, um, <laughs> made the Statue of Liberty appear to disappear. Is it weird that I'm like fascinated by his name, David Copperfield, and the Statue of Liberty, which is all verdigreed and coppery? <laughs> I don't know. There's something there. Yeah. Huh. Okay. It was probably a camera trick. Yeah. Also that week, um, Tokyo Disneyland opened. Oh. This is, I believe, the first Disneyland outside of the U.S. Oh, that's cool. Paris didn't open until the 90s. Yeah. And I feel like ha- uh, Shanghai was relatively recent. I feel like Hong Kong was, it was after that. So I think this was the first one outside of the U.S. Wow. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, Al- Alice Walker won the Pulitzer Prize for The Color Purple. I think it pisses God off when you pass the color of purple and you don't notice it. <laughs> Love it. You uh, if you've not read the book, it's very lesbianic. It's very like, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg's <laughs> character is like freaking in love with um, Shug. Is that her name, the character? In the movie, yeah. Steven Spielberg, like, it was 1980, whatever, and they had to like hetero it, it up, you know? Yeah. But if you've never read the book, oh man, it's a really good one. And also that week, uh, Yuri Andropov invited U.S. schoolgirl Samantha Smith to the Soviet Union. Now, 
Does this sound familiar? Like it could have been the plot of a TV show? Um, I mean, I'm thinking like good for her. Like she gets to see the world, but I guess, I mean, at the time it was like the East, the, the Cold War Iron yep. Curtain kind of thing. So it was a, it was a big deal. But I have, I have a feeling you have more to say on the topic. I do indeed, Mr. Brandon, because as soon as I saw that and while I was doing my quote-unquote research for this episode, I immediately thought of the Golden Girls, uh, Series 3, Episode 6, Letter to Gorbachev from 1987. Where, oh, that's because Rose, they think Rose is, yes. is like a little girl. I remember exactly. that one. Yeah. So Rose writes a letter to President Gorbachev, and because Rose is so innocent and sweet and adorable, they thought that she was like a five-year-old girl. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they kind of right. just pulled it from the hair headlines. Four, four years ago, but, you know, who's counting? Yeah. All right, so before we, before we get into the episode, I think it's important to note that David Croft stepped away from writing duties for most of the season in order to get treatment, um, leaving Jeremy Lloyd to write the scripts himself, although okay. David Croft did attend uh, final read-throughs and the tapings in order to be able to give final notes. So it wasn't like they had a row or anything. Right. They were, right. They, he was like going through some medical stuff or whatever. So he's like, okay, I'm taking this one out. Right. Because, okay. because they continued to write on um, Heidi High and LOLO after this. Mm. So this was not a, a row. This was um, him um, getting treatment. Okay. But it's interesting. As we get to the end of season eight, and then there's only one more season of the original series, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see as we look back at the whole series, see series nine as a unit, maybe we'll notice like a difference. Maybe it was a little bit hokier or not as funny. We'll have to kind of remember yeah. this fact and see well, if it I, comes back. I don't think time. anything can be less funny than series eight. <laughs> <laughs> Poor series eight. Right. So we open with Mr. Harmon, who's pushing two vacuums that are jerry-rigged together. Okay. Uh, and he's uh, dusting the mannequins with a toupee. And immediately I Classic wondered, well, joke. what happened to Daphne and Ivy? Did they not make the cut and did they not get written into Series 9? I know. Well, I mean, of course, this episode is all about, like, economy cuts and stuff. Right. But I yeah. really like them. I loved how cockney Daphne was and she would always right. flirt with all the men. And Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Miss we miss um, you, Daphne. Mr. Harmon refers to the toupee as an Irish, and so ah. I immediately thought this has to be a Cockney rhyming slang. I, th- I, I noticed the word. I couldn't catch it, and I thought, I'm sure Mr. Jeff will know. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is it, an Irish? Okay, so the word is actually not a rhyming slang for toupee, but a rhyming slang for wig. So can you get from Irish to wig? Irish whiskey? That does uh, not rhyme with wig. <laughs> I know, that's... Um, Shillelagh? I don't know. <laughs> Irish jig. The dance. Oh, Irish jig to wig. Oh, yes. Okay. So, okay. Damn. Okay, can we just say Cockney rhyming slang is annoying? It's cute, but if you don't hear it in your everyday parlance, you just don't get it. You don't I mean, get it. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of it makes the fun it makes the show a little bit more fun I guess I don't know it's yeah. just I'm just annoyed I didn't guess it I guess <laughs> one by one the uh, the staff start to come in and we learn that um, the lifts have been turned off in order to save the company money was it the, the season eight the first episode 
when they all walked in onto the stage, the, the studio audience erupted into applause every person who walked in, right? Or is that maybe seven? But I remember there was a big gulf of time between seasons. So it was as if the audience hadn't seen these characters in a long to time. To welcome them back? Yeah, and we just had a year and a half go by without any episodes. So it was weird to me that no one clapped similarly. You know, because they, hadn't been, they haven't seen these folks in such a long time. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, well, I, think, I feel like I remember, I, I remember, recall what you were talking about. I think it was the beginning of either Series 7 or 8. Yeah. Where they did get um, a round of applause to welcome them back to the stage. Because I thought it was so sweet that the they stage. loved them so much. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the popularity of the show was a little bit waning. Maybe there was better stuff on TV that year so that the popularity was kind of going down. I don't Who know. knows? Who knows? Mm. Um, so we learned that the lifts have been turned off in order to save the company money and that they're exclusively for the use of customers only and that they had to sack Elsie the cleaner, right? So now we're starting to learn the setup for the episode that it's all about saving money, right? Okay. Uh, and its effects on the employees. Um, we meet Miss Belfridge, who is Mr. Rumble's new temporary secretary, although she lasts for two years. <laughs> uh, and she is played by Candy Davis, who won the Miss Nude America pageant in 1982. Oh, you know, this reminds me, and I have to apologize to the, the lovely um, heterosexual uh, unanimous leader. We were chatting on Facebook, and um, I, I, I said, you know what? Uh, we have a whole bunch of homos on this show, and um, <laughs> when we have Candy, uh, what's her name? Candy Davis come on, we'll invite you on, and you can talk about your, to be the token straight guy. So um, we might have to contact him again and like, okay, come in and talk about how great and how hot she is. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so this episode is for you, um, Mr. Heterosexual uh, Unanimous Man. Um, we're, we're a diverse listenership on the show. <laughs> we see that Miss Brahms has a new uniform. She's wearing a very thin brown tie with white small polka dots on it as opposed to the ascot or the like beginnings of small frills that she used to wear in previous seasons. It is the eighties. I mean, we're 1983, yeah, that's right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they're all complaining about having to walk up the stairs, blah, 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 blah. And finally, Miss Belfridge comes back screaming that there's a man in a blue overcoat outside the window of Mr. Rumble's office. And mysteriously, and Mr. Humphreys is missing. So we're like, okay, like what's he going to do? Right. Um, and she says, well, this is, this is, I'm, I'm shocked because we're on the fourth floor. Well, the, the building doesn't only goes up to three. If you look Continuity at the Continuity error. I figured Mr. Jeff would be, okay, here's my spreadsheet showing all the different floors that Grace Brothers was on. But you, all you have to do is listen to the theme song <laughs> to learn that they're on the first floor. First right, floor. A, da, da, da. Telephones, gents, ready mage suits, shirts, <gasps> socks, ties, oh hats. Oh my God. Yeah, come on. So it turns out that Mr. Humphreys has come up on the painter's suspended platform. Such a uh, cute idea. Yeah, so if you think about, like, window washers, the thing, the elevator that they use outside to wash on. Yeah, the little so, platform with, with pulleys and stuff. So if you've ever seen a single window washer or a painter outside, that they're not on a suspended platform, but they're in a chair. It oh. has a specific name, and it's called the bosun's chair. Oh, Right, bosun spelled boatswain, um, as like the um, the the manager of the deck, right on a boat. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, and we see that Mr. Humphreys has a white handprint on his bum. Oh, that's where I lost my nerve. And the painter tried to steady me. I have no head for heights, and he's well over six feet tall. And then it shows <laughs> Mrs. Slocum like, what did he just Thinking. say? I don't understand. Right. But it was so right. cute because he said, oh, I... <laughs> was it Mr. Spooner says, oh, Mr. Humphrey says he can't go climb up the stairs because, you know, the elevators, the lift He'll get a tree off. crease in his trousers. Because, like, yeah, my trousers get wrinkled. So he goes to the outside of the building and he says, hey, guys, do you mind if I go up on the um, the window washer's platform so I can get to the fourth floor and so my, my trousers won't be... You know, gay men, we do take our wrinkles seriously in our face <laughs> and in our pants. <laughs> So there's there's some things to unpack here. You've already hit on one where we get we get a visual reaction from Mrs. Slocum where she's doing that thinking thing with her face, where she's mugging that like she's thinking and trying to figure it out. And it's held there for about three seconds. So I know. this is this is one of the I think this is one of the few times where there is any um staff reaction to Mr. Humphrey's oh, you're supposed so right. sexuality. You're right? so right. Or at least them think, like, what does that mean? I'm confused. Right. Yeah, you're right. But, as you also mentioned, seconds before, we get Mr. Spooner not once but twice poking fun at Mr. Humphrey's not wanting to get a crease in his trousers. You see him, like, you hear Mr. Spooner, like, modulate his voice up. Mincing and, about. Like, and, mincing yeah. about a little bit. So I thought this was a really weird character choice to be making nine seasons in. All of a sudden, now the other characters are going to call attention to Mr. Humphrey's sexuality in this way. I wonder, I mean, if we, maybe I should have done more research on this or research at all on the popularity of the show. Like, are we in a peak or are we in a valley? Because if the show was, if, if they knew that people tune in to watch Mr. Humphrey's and suddenly they're up against, I don't know, what's that crazy reality game show all about playing darts that was super big in the <laughs> 80s? In the UK, like, darts exactly what you're talking something, about, right? I can't remember what it's called. It's actually not a bad show. But, I mean, maybe they were up against something even cooler, and they thought, you know what, just talk about Mr. Humphreys as much as you can in every episode. You know, maybe that was it. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, we in the early seasons, we always had um, Mr. Lucas at least referencing it. Like, whenever Mr. Humphrey said he had a friend, assuming it was a man, and, you know, doing very playful bits. But we always knew that Mr. Lucas was a confidant and a friend yeah. and, dare I say, ally of I, Mr. I Humphrey's. I think he was. Yeah. yeah. And we still don't have that camaraderie established yet between Humphreys and Spooner. Now and that it, it we never don't happens, have, does it? yeah, and now that we don't have the senior assistant anymore, and the roles are very clearly defined that Mr. Humphreys is in charge of the mm. gentleman's department, it's very much um, a, a difference in, in in title and authority. You know, we see. Uh, later on in the canteen that they're going to banish Mr. Spooner to another table or he can't sit with us if he's going to continue to act up, right? Uh, when we get to the canteen, we get a uh, don't have the last word bit in between Slocum and Spooner where they keep trying to get the last word in Edgeways. I've got a hot so, take for you. Um, I've been following it. a really great um, LGBT historian media guru is what I'll call mm -hmm. him. His name is Matt Baum. Do you know okay. Matt Baum? B -A the name sounds familiar, but I might be confusing him with Matt Bomer. Oh, maybe. Um, so if you followed like Prop 8 or the same-sex marriage equality fight uh, in 2008, 9, and 10, and, and 
onward. Um, he really put himself in the middle of it, and he would give everyone a really good update for like, this court said this, and this court said that, and this is what it means, and he's really good at explaining things, and he has an incredible YouTube channel, and what he does, he focuses on TV shows from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even the 60s, of okay. um, this is the first same-sex kiss on television ever, and this is the first uh, gay couple that acknowledge that they were a couple on television ever. And then he gives all of the context about the, the, the what it was like at the time. So he kind of does what we do a little bit. Um, I've been watching all of his content, and he's really, really sharp. He does lots of research. And damn if he hasn't done an episode about already being served. Because Mr. Humphreys, like... What an what a fantastic so anyway if you if you go to YouTube look him up Matt Baum and I'll uh, I'll post a, a link on our Facebook page but how fun if maybe we could score him to be a co-host one day oh wow and he could like okay this is because he I, I, he wouldn't call himself an expert but I think he is he's very well versed in like. He can talk ad nauseum about, like, this episode of The Golden Girls is, is so important because this was the first time that a straight person was hit on by a gay person and didn't take it offensively on television in, in the States. And da-da-da. So it would be really interesting to see his take on Mr. Humphreys and, you know, the, a lot of gay men, uh, LGBT people in the States and the UK, yep. really didn't like him because he was kind of stereotyping and mincing about and there was still a very mattachinist uh, attitude uh, back then that the idea was that versus con- not. conform exactly so it's a very interesting kind of um, battle there but anyway um, I just I was just thinking as you were talking about that it would be really cool to hear his take on it so yeah who Let's knows see. maybe in the future Matt Baum if you're listening please get in touch You'll, we'll tell you at the end of the episode how to uh, <laughs> how to hear us in case you don't know already <laughs> yeah. um so in the canteen, the manageress is here. It's not Christmas, and we have an episode with the manageress, which it's is Christmas awesome. in July or June, <laughs> rather. Excuse me. <laughs> and Captain Peacock is trying to get his, her attention, so he snaps his fingers, clears his throat, bangs his fork on the table, and then calls her Miss. I could and have she told you refuses that was a bad idea. to um, oh, yeah. hear her. Now the last one, I don't, I don't get. You know, I think would think that calling out, excuse me, Miss, would be the polite thing to do, but probably when it's your last resort, I, I, I guess I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't um, listen either. Well, yeah. what do you think that I was trying to do with all of that? Well, when my two-year-old does it, it means he wants to go to the potty. So she <laughs> is not having any of Captain Peacock's smug guff this week. Yeah. And you know, the whole miss kind of thing, it really goes back to the super patriarchal kind of thing about like, if you're young, you're probably not married. So we have to call you miss. Yep. But if you're older, you're probably married, so we're going to call you Mrs., like Mrs. Slope. Marm. Yeah. yeah. So it's it just a bit kind of, I mean, she was probably 40 or 30 or something, but it's just a little demeaning, especially today, to call someone Miss Absol- or Mrs. Yeah, it's Miss. That's true. Thank you. That's true. So, yeah. kind of weird. So we learned that they fired her waitress, and she's not serving any customers, and her union won't let her get fired. And Captain Peacock is surprised to learn that she's a new union, which she names as the National Association of Canteen Employees, Restaurant, and Domestic. And Mr. Humphrey quickly works out that the acronym is Knackered. I should have known better, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Knackered. <laughs> the, the joke here is obviously that the word knackered means worn out. Right? You know, if you think about someone being, or someone or something being ready for the knacker's yard, that's where they turn old horses into glue. So. Oh, Mr. Ed. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a wonderful British phrase, knackered. We don't say it in the States, do we? No, we don't. We don't here. Ms. Yardwick also lets us know that the canteen subsidy is off. So rather than ordering from a menu what they want, they'll either have to pay the executive dining room prices or they'll have to take a set menu. And they've got to ring a bell in order to have the set lunch. And I think we've talked on the, on the show before about how in Europe, most work companies will pay for your lunch, either because they've got a canteen or cafeteria on site or they give you vouchers to be able to spend at restaurants or supermarkets. And in the States, you're expected to spend $15 for a little piece of lettuce and a bit of chicken and eat it at your desk. But that's yeah. a different conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting that, like, we're not going to help pay for your own lunch, whereas in the States, we'd be like, whoa, man, this is great. Like, you're helping me pay for my lunch, you know? Right. So you're weird. giving me a free meal even though I don't get to choose what it is? Um so after they ring the bell, Mr. Harmon comes in because obviously if there's an odd job to be done, he'll do it so he can get some extra overtime. Yeah. And he delivers basically an Oscar the Grouch sized garbage can of baked <laughs> beans. Um, and, he's, and he's got to put on um, a gas mask and wear <laughs> asbestos gloves in order to deliver because no, he doesn't trust. fumes are very corrosive, he says. Right. <laughs> and he's singing, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime while he's, um, <laughs> while he's dishing it out, right? Aww. This is a song that was popular in the Depression from the 1932 review Americana. And it's all about uh, people who used to have a good career in an industry that has gone downhill and now are on welfare or looking for um, subsidies or help. And so this continues to set up the plot about them all being skinned for money, uh, especially due to the cuts uh, in the company. And I wonder if this goes to kind of 1983. We talked a couple episodes ago about how... Um, Thatcherism. Thatcherism. Yeah. We, oh, it was during um, Roots when we talked about, you know, what do you think of when you think of someone from Wales? You think of coal mine. The coal miners. The, the coal strike. And so this is a year and a half or two years, whatever, later. Um, you know, if you look up British history in the 80s. 1983 is the height of British unemployment. Yeah. I mean, so, it was something at like, um, what was it, like at 15% or something like ridiculous like that. Uh, so I think this is the episode sort of reflecting back what the times were. And it's in the art, you know, life imitates art. Yeah. Or so art it, imitates it, life. Yeah, so it got it got up to a high of around eleven percent during nineteen eighty three. So this would have been the the, the height of uh, unemployment. So they start talking about um, that the fact that they're going to need to have um, a side gig in order to be able to maintain any standard of living, and uh, Mrs. Slocum already has one. Ooh, it's something. What is that? It's something I. It's something I do at home, and it's something to do with nature. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, everyone is imagining her like. Being a, a sex worker, basically. Right, basically. exactly. This is kind of the joke there. Right. Yeah. Uh, but no, it turns out that she makes her own perfume. Uh, the smell of flower, flowers makes her feel light and gay. And uh, Mr. Humphreys chimes in that his mother used to take him to the botanical garden a lot when he was younger. Now she's got a lot to answer now for. Now she's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been partial to a bit of flowers myself. Mrs. Slocum <laughs> claims that her perfume attracts the opposite sex. Uh, and she she knows this because she inadvertently drops them on her pussy, being Tittles the cat, and all of the toms in the neighborhood were you know couldn't resist were throwing themselves against her cat flap all right. night. 
Uh, her and uh, Mrs. Axelby have also given them exhaustive tests at the pub. I bet they have. Right, and everyone's been buying them lagers and uh, gin and tonics the whole way through. And she starts to talk about her recipe a, a little bit. So apart from her secret ingredient X, she uses panther's breath, honeysuckle, and a compote of roses and wild thyme. I have no idea what panther's breath is. I, th I don't think this is a real flower, and I think that this is a malaprop, that she was trying to say something else like baby's breath. But I don't know. I, mean, I, I found one reference to Panther's Breath being a type of Gerbera, but I've never mm. heard of this flower before in my entire I life. I thought it was the name that they, they kind of christened the, the, the name of the scent. And eventually, yeah, later on in the episode, they're, they're giving, um, type, they're giving the, the perfume names, and one of the things they do call it is Panther's Breath. But, you know, I may not know my flowers... But I know a bitch when I see one. <laughs> very, very deep cut there, folks. Um, the gay... The, you know, the gay what, what, deceivers. The gay deceivers. Yes, you have to yeah. watch that film. This uh, Matt, is Dow, a, Matt Baum, if you're listening, you have to review the, the film yeah. as well. Um, uh, it is um, yeah. 1963, I think. It's, 1960, it's before Stonewall. It's like 1967, 1968. Something like that. Something like that. Basically, the plot is two preppy straight boys from Los Angeles are trying to avoid the draft. So they for move Vietnam. to... For Vietnam, thank you. Yeah, so they move to San Francisco and pretend to be um, gay lovers. And they move right into, like, a Barbary Lane-style complex. And there's one famous scene where um, the, the female protagonist, I think she's she might be one of their wives or um, uh, girlfriends or fiancés, yeah. uh, is trampling through the neighbor's flowers because she got her heel caught in something... And so we see the neighbor, like, come out and shriek, Look what you've done to my peonies! <laughs> they're not peonies. They're marigolds. They're marigolds. And then his response is, as he's, like, whipping well, dough the, in his... Right. In well, his, the boyfriend is like, oh, my God, she's right. They are marigolds. Well, I might not know my flowers, but I know a bitch when I see one. <laughs> I, have, I, I, would, I would hate myself if I don't mention this. So in this film, like, it's kind of a silly film. Of course, a lot of films are. Um, yep. But go and get a copy of it and watch it because there's a scene. And, and again, Matt Baum, if you're listening. Um, but oh, this where he film, makes the omelet? Yeah. Where Malcolm well, makes the omelet. Yeah. Malcolm makes the omelet. So that guy, and I think he had passed away. He's passed away a couple years ago. Um, yeah. Everyone keeps passing away. It's so bad. But he was openly gay, the actor, in 1967 in Hollywood. Yep. And he played an openly gay person on a film um, who was openly gay in the film. Like, how so groundbreaking. And um, that just wasn't done. And I don't think he ever really became big, I think, because he was openly gay and no one would hire yeah. him. But, you know, he just basically played himself. I mean, he didn't play himself, but uh, I watched the director's cut um, audio track of the thing because it's like, it just feels historic. Because how yep. old it is, and it's it, yep. it's in the '60s, and um, he basically said to the uh, the director said, "So what can you do?" <laughs> and he said, <laughs> "Well, I can I can uh, do a whole routine where I whistle this song from opera while making an omelet," and he said, "Works for me." So it's in the movie. <laughs> it was one take. Just go watch. It. It's on YouTube. It's it's really fun. Yeah. So that does suit gay deceivers. <laughs> <laughs> that does suit marigolds. Yes. Um, so 
um, they they want to be able to sell it um, over the counter and keep the profits. Yeah. But there's no way that they're going to be able to do that without Rumble noticing. So okay. in order to convince Peacock that it's worth doing, first of all, obviously, Slocum's got to cut him in on the take. Of course. But <laughs> Peacock has to be certain that it can attract the opposite sex, and then he'll go talk to Rumble. Oh well, you know what I heard. Uh, speaking of omelets, um, they have a the the manager asks, will whip up some omelets while dancing to some opera mu- music. So I say we go down to the canteen and see if she can do it without breaking any eggs. Let's take a tea break. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, well, hey, um, what did you have in the canteen? Well, I did not want to pay executive dining room prices, so I had some of that baked bean soup that had a leaf of lettuce and some chicken in it and uh, fighting with the dissolved Oxo cube. <laughs> Um, I tried to, I, I said, okay, manager, yes, I would like to have, um, an omelet while you are doing, uh, a pirouetting kind of, um, something from La Triviata, but it was nothing but shells and like a little bit of egg yolk. It was, it was not a good thing. I mean, thing. what do you expect though? Your expectations are way too high. Then she made a gesture with her poisoned finger, which offended me <laughs> highly. So I canceled my, uh, yeah. my blumange. So anyway, where were we in the, um, in the episode? So the next day, Miss um, Belfridge arrives two minutes late because she's got a cold coming on. Okay. Keep that in mind. Okay. Um, Captain Peacock chats her up, and it turns out that her photo is in the Senior Staff magazine where she's posing in a bikini like she's on page three of The Sun. And I should just point out, for the sake of uh, the record, I have not been hanging out with Miss Belfridge, so that is not the reason for my rather deep voice. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm trained. Okay, I'll let everyone know. I'm auditioning for the role to play George Decay in his upcoming Broadway show. <laughs> the story of my life, George Decay, A Life in the Stars. But um, I don't think I'll, I'll yeah. get it. But oh well. So Mrs. Slocum starts to give Captain Peacock a compliment. Know that you do have quite a reputation, <laughs> not in the um, lechy way that Miss Brahms always com- complains about about him pursuing her with his his blow tickler, but then she gives a half beat. She goes, "Well, you used to." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's always implying been that, that kind he's of, past it. Yeah, because there's this always this weird history that Mrs. Slocum always kind of hints at that like they two had a little affair like years ago. Right, right, right. Well, you used to. <laughs> Which is cute. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, it's 1983. The TV show has been on for 10 years, not consistently, but because it right. started in 1971, right? The pilot. Yep. So that's, what, 12 years. So they're looking older. Like a year and a half has passed. Mrs. Slocum's looking a bit older. I'm, everyone's looking a bit older, except Mr. Humphreys, because we don't age gay men. Um <laughs> Yeah, so even Mr. Uh, even Captain Peacock is kind of showing his age a little bit. So yeah, just it's a kind of an bit. interesting little joke they did. So they start talking about names for the potential perfume. Uh, call, start off by calling it Panther's Breath, and Brahms suggests calling it his and hers. Oh, why not which, recycle a joke from 10 or 12 years ago? Exactly. <laughs> and then Peacock comes up with Adam and Eve because it suggests temptation. Mm. So this is actually a really good name for a perfume. You know, I'm sure it's been done a million times since then. Who yeah. knows how long it's been you know, before that, but a pretty good name for it. 
Um, lest we forget that we're actually in a shop, a customer actually comes in. Oh, what a novel and, idea. And, and asks for um, a brigade tie over on the gentleman's counter. <laughs> so one that's meant to signify that you used to be in uh, the service. And Mr. Spinner and, says, which one is it? Fire or, or uh, fire? Or ambulance or fire. Which one fire is it? Or fire ambulance. or ambulance? <laughs> and then Mr. Yeah. Humphrey's like, go, go, t- go sweep the back room. <laughs> right. Which is and cute. so the, Humphrey starts commiserating with the customer about the youth of today. Uh, and we can't they get should, good ones. Yeah, exactly. They should bring back the national service. He says, oh, were you in the army? And uh, Humphreys goes, no, but I went on a package holiday in Benidorm. Right. <laughs> so the, Thinking the, about the, the conditions. The national service, he's talking about the draft. Like, we right, should have forced exactly. young men to go into the draft. Because that's what and his generation to, would have done. And have to be able to rough it, to be able to, you know, uh, uh, make your way in the woods uh, with a compass and... You know, minimal Walk for thirty tools miles, and, so and right. oh, were you in the army too? No, I went on a package holiday to Benidorm, and I don't think most Americans would know what the hell that means. What does that mean, Mister Mister Jeff? So Benidorm is a seaside resort in um, the east coast of Spain, so probably about two hours or three hours south of Barcelona, okay. um, and it is a reputation for basically being London East. Uh, it is a destination for UK holidaymakers, and basically you don't have to experience any Spanish culture the entire time you're there. Because you're surrounded by other... English people, you have English food, you stay on the on the campus of the resort, everyone right. speaks English, everyone is English, but there's sunshine. Yeah. And what's interesting is, um, if you think about the movie, they went to the Costa Planca, which does not exist... They were probably imagining that Grace Brothers Benidorm goes exactly. to Benidorm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, um, if you're a fan of Ari being served, you might found on BritBox an amazing, amazing show called Benidorm, which Jeff and I are big fans of. Um, it's essentially Northern English people who were probably not on the highest socioeconomic class mm-hmm. scale, all going to this place. This this um, resort called um, Tropicana. Using, using that term very loosely. And loosely <laughs> speaks to um, Donald and um, his wife in the show. So yeah, I mean, there's and it's basically like all of British society kind of boiled down to maybe like 15 people put in a place and the way they interact. And it's all about, just like already being served, about people's expectations of class and looking down upon everyone else because they're higher than everyone else but they're really not and all of the, the hilarity then soon so if you, you like are being served you'll love benidorm too yeah and it it was on forever it ran yeah. for like what 11 years lots of gay Something like that. lots of gay characters lots of gay jokes um lots of special appearances yeah as well they always had a guest stars. star every week yeah who can and, always come in to be a, yeah Guess who appears as Madge's uh, nemesis? As Madge's nemesis. How far back is that? Is that earlier or later in the series? I'll, give you, I'll just give it to you. Wendy okay. Richards. Excuse me. Wendy Richard is a guest star on Benidorm at one point. Oh, She's right. in a couple of episodes. That was one of the last things she did before she passed away. Good so there we go. Yeah. Tied it back together. I tried. So they're trying to um, make sure that they're going to be able to convince Captain Peacock that this can, the perfume can attract the opposite sex. So Brahms calls in a ringer. She, she phones up a friend of hers who's an actor who's going to come in and pretend, you know, that the perfume has an effect on him within earshot of Captain Peacock. So that way he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll let um, Mr. Rumble know that this is a good product to let them sell. 
Yes. Mr. Harmon comes in and he notices a pong in the air, right? And he starts sniffing around. He even checks the bottom of his shoe. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he might have said some syntax. What is a pong, Mr. Jeff? A p- pong is a British slang word for a bad odor. You know, it's funny because there's a, um, a Judy Garland song. And, of course, I'm a gay man. I know all these things. Um, where she talks about a pong. And at the time, I was like, what the hell's a pong? So I had to look it up. And it was like, oh. So British people and Judy Garland apparently use this word. There you go. Pong. And so they're pitching the the perfume (laughs) to him. And they say it's straight from the Garden of Eden. (laughs) And he goes back, blimey, she's older than I thought she was. (laughs) Referring to Mrs. Slocum, right? Mrs. Slocum. we also get a center display unit joke, even though it's not on the center display unit, but on the side. Uh, the whole reason he's on the floor is that the beauty bell bra has been recalled, that the elastic gives way after three weeks. Uh, he hits the dummy on the head with, uh, to simulate a train going over the points at St. Pancreas, a great malaprop for St. Pancreas. St. Pancreas, instead of St. Pancreas, yeah. And then we get a boing sound effect where the bra pops off. Yeah, and St. Pancras um, is a giant train depot in London. Yeah. It's like the terminus of so many trains. Like, if you go anywhere from London on a train, you probably leave from St. Pancras. Yeah, if you're if you're going anywhere north, or if you're going international, like the the uh, Eurostar leaves Eurostar, from St. Pancras yeah. now. Beautiful right? station. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, we then see a customer in a white linen suit come in. Ooh. Um, Immediately, I thought of Tom Wolfe. If you think about that author uh, who wrote um, Bonfire of the Vanities and I Am Charlotte Simmons, whenever he's pictured, he's pictured like a southern gentleman in a white seersucker suit. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a spitting image of him, right? It was very a 70s aesthetic look to wear all white linen. Like, John Lennon, no pun intended, um, would wear, like, whenever he was trying to look fancy in the 70s, he would have, like, a big, wide-brimmed hat and look... Very 1950s. It's a 1950s look, really. The white linen suit kind of thing brought back in the 70s. That's true. It, it is a throwback to the 50s. Um, this customer is played by Michael Charvel Martin, uh, who was a customer in a couple episodes ago in Front Page Story, the um, when Mr. Humphreys is the editor of the Gossip magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, he's, but, this, but this actor is probably best known for playing Trevor on No Place Like Home. Hmm. Um, okay. No Place Like Home. I think that's the one. I think that's the family comedy that's set in Liverpool. Oh, okay. It's, that I think ran we're for, yeah. yeah it ran for um, eight years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so he's come to buy something for one of his lady friends. He smells something familiar yet elusive. And Mr. Slocum thinks that it, it, this is the ringer. This is Miss Brown's friend. Miss Brown's is off the floor, so she can't tell okay. him her, uh, her either way. And Mr. Slocum is giving him stage directions, like, you know, don't play it on too thick. That's enough right here, et cetera. Right? They can hear you. You don't have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So he ends up buying six small bottles for 12 pounds. So when you account for inflation, that's about 35 pounds today or 50 U.S. dollars today. So it's a lot of, you know, pretty good amount of money. For six sample size bottles of perfume. Yeah, that, that's, that's, okay. a, that's a good amount. Um. He asks her for her name, but she's not allowed to give names. Just say that she's assistant 193. And that that'll be something to remember her by as he sits on the roof of his penthouse in Kensington. So he lets her know that he is wealthy. Kensington right. is probably one of the nicest residential neighborhoods in London, you think? 
Uh, it's where the queen lives, so I'd say yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a beautiful neighborhood. I actually have a friend of mine who lives in the area, and um, it's very charming. And, you know, the fact that he has a penthouse in Kensington with a roof terrace, that's that's letting the audience know something right there. Yeah, that's, that's code for wealthy, right? Yeah. So Miss Brom says that her friend hasn't returned her call yet, and Mrs. Slocum says not not to worry because he was just in. Captain Peacock overheard. It's all fixed, right? Yeah. We cut to Mr. Rumble's office, and he's glad to see Captain Peacock making executive decisions, and this means that good things are in the store for him because Rumble might be on his way up, looking up to the boardroom level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mr. Rumble has been running um, the. Uh, he's going home with a cold and a fever. Because yeah. remember that Miss Belfridge sneezed and she was late because she had a cold. Ah, you told and us then to on, remember, and here it is. And then on cue, Miss Belfridge sneezes again. And so we see that he caught the cold from her because they've been spending time together. Implication is they've also been spending time together outside of work. They've you know, it's interesting. Like, the character of Mr. Rumbold, I would never think that he would be a philanderer in this case. He always seems to be so you know, buttoned up and things. Now long that we no longer have either of the brothers grace, neither old nor young, (laughs) the brothers grace, we we need someone in a position of authority who, in order to be able to play off the secretary. So I think we're going to see more and more of good points. Mr. Rumbold developing a flirtatious relationship with Miss Belfridge rather than just take dictation. Oh, I'm going to mess up everything that you say. But it's also funny that like the one who is not interested because he's got a, he's I'm happily married, you know, um, is the one with like all of the secretaries. Like, and then of course, Mr. Captain Peacock does not. And he's the one who would like love to take advantage of that. Exactly. So that's kind of interesting, so too. When, when, exactly this reason. We see, you know, Mr. Rumbold goes home early because it was cold, and Captain Peacock settles right in, right next up to Miss Belfridge, and is yeah. definitely making a play for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, out on the floor, Mr. Humphreys answers the phone with Assistant 4711 speaking. So, uh, Mrs. Slocum had set this joke up a little bit earlier in terms of that they only go by assistant numbers. But uh, we heard a little bit of a titter from the audience who caught on to this joke. Do you get the reference? 4711 speaks to... Oh, I get it. Yes, now that you say that. So 4711 is um, a very popular eau de toile... No, eau de cologne. That's right. From Germany. It is, it is the original eau de cologne because it's made in Cologne, Germany. Yeah. So this is yeah. interesting. There's another time that he made this joke. And yes, you're right. the episode where he thought he was... Uh, Mr. Grace Humphreys, he's keeping the maiden name when he was going to be Mr. Grace's uh, long-lost son. Mrs. Humphreys comes and she's looking at where he works while he's off the floor. And um, she smells his handkerchief and she says, ah, so that's what happened to my 4711. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I right. actually have a bottle of it because I was like, I wonder what this thing smells like. And it's, it's nice. It's like kind of floral, citrusy. But the reason it's a joke is because it's unisex. Yeah. It's feminine enough to be for women, but not too much so men can do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, gender roles. But um, <laughs> at the time, uh, it would have been kind of a snide joke that you only gays wear that because it's unisex, you know. What, these days, it's not a joke. Like, unisex has, it means nothing, I think. Well, here, well here's going to be one of those generational gaps that just might expose the ever-so-slight sli- uh, age difference between I'm us. Very young. 
Do you remember CK1 being a big thing because it was a unisex scent? I remember CK1, but I don't remember it being a, like, a big deal because it was unisex. I, I, re, I re, clearly remember the whole marketing campaign about it and, like, pop culture stories in, like, you know, uh, Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, Vanity Fair, you know, whatever mm. magazines I was reading at the time, um, about it being, you know, revolutionary. Really? And it was, it was not long after that that um, The Gap came out with their own unisex sense. They had Grass and they had Ohm and they yeah, had yeah. Sky. And I just remember, you know, CK one was <laughs> CK one was like the thing, <laughs> the cologne slash perfume to wear in like the very late eighties, early nineties. Interesting, but yeah. but did it have like this quasi bisexual giggle kind of layer to it? No, because I think it was I think it was right around. Um, I think this was like the beginning culturally here in the states of the idea of. Um, sexuality not being a big deal to even talk about. Yeah, that mm. was kind of that was kind of the the shift away from the Mattachinist attitudes of the fifties to the counter revolutionary ideals of the sixties and seventies yeah. to the meh so what generation X coming of their own yeah. type you know thing. You know, if you think about this was definitely for people who were on the preppier end of the slacker spectrum. <laughs> I would be <laughs> like what would have would have used CK one. Yeah, you know, it's like the people who sue like you know too late for Jacquard Noir, and too early for um, Gautier Lamal. Yeah, we're I mean we're really going back now. I mean, but I mean as kind of as you mentioned, um, each generation is built upon the one before it, and then the one that comes after is built on that. So we're talking forty ish years. Let's say forty five years for for the early couple of, um, you know, the first couple of seasons. Um, for 7-Eleven, like, the fact that you have a unisex scent doesn't seem like a big deal to us. But if you think about it, like, gendered, like, sexual, like, His men and did her. this, women yeah. did that. Uh, you wore that, men wore suits, black and brown and, and, and you know, blue. Women wore floral and dresses and never wore pants. And da-da. like, even though it was in the seventies and eighties, you know, it's, things don't don't change instantly. So the idea of having a scent that both men and women could could wear was kind of revolutionary and kind of shocking, yeah. right? And so it's interesting if you go and Google like four seven eleven, the the scent. It's got a really cool history and it's everywhere. You've probably seen it in a Walmart. Scratch and sniff your computer and see if you could smell what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's very light. It's it's uh, l'eau de cologne, which is very the the scent aspect of it. It's not like a perfume. Perfume means um, it actually has a certain percentage of the. Um, ingredients that give the scent, and then it's the essential like, oils in it. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like watered down with alcohol. But um, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, it's just a second. To, so by 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 Mr. Humphrey saying assistant four seven eleven, that was clearly a joke saying I'm gay, and that like you said, the savvy and the, audience and the reference to the perfumes yeah. were like, oh, I get that joke. Yeah, yeah. very clever. Um, so on the other end of the phone is Mrs. Peacock, who's ringing from the ground floor to say that she'll be traveling home with Captain Peacock because she happens to be uh, in the neighborhood. Okay. So we've got a mad dash 
to let Captain Peacock know because he is in Rumble's office with Mrs. B- Miss Belfridge uh. typing up the labels for the bottles of perfume. Quite innocently, we, of course. Quite innocently. Yeah. But we all know how jealous Mrs. Peacock gets, right? <laughs> yeah. So Harmon is bringing uh, the tea break to uh, Mr. Rumble's office. And we have Humphreys fling open the door, push Harmon over. He spills the tea and the perfume all over Captain Peacock oh, and Alfred. Right. So it's a very strong scent in, in a large quantity. So their clothes are, are reeking of it. Now they got Mrs. Peacock on the way. And if he smells the same scent on Miss Belfridge as on him, <laughs> she's going to have a conniption fit. Insane. And then, of course, they have to take his pants off because, oh, I can't right. be wearing wet pants, which is silly. Exactly. It's, an, it's an excuse to take his pants off. Right. So yeah. Miss Belfridge and Captain Peacock's trousers go into the closet. And Captain Peacock tries to go out on the painter's lift to hide. Right. Yeah. Uh, Which is and very so clever. It's very clever, right? Mr. Humphreys tosses him a, a new pair of trousers, but they fall to the street because he overshoots his shot. Oh boy! So all of this action takes place in about sixty seconds. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this is probably the most madcap scene we have had since the movie, because the, the the humor on the show is generally a little bit slower paced. Yeah. It's 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 all about a visual gag that takes a long time to build or they repeat it for you three times to make sure you get it. And then of course you or, have to wait for the audience laughter and one to laugh, you know? Right. Or it's a sexual innuendo that they're hitting you over the head with or one that we've been trained to listen for, which <laughs> is always funny. I'm not yeah, degrading yeah, it. Yeah. But this is, this is the first time that we get madcap where it's based on quick physical routines. There's yeah. a lot of commotion and you're trying to keep up, and that is what adds to the hysteria. This is going to be something we'll revisit in the holdup, where we have our episode. Uh, the one we record live with um, yep. on Madame Khan. Um, yeah, I agree. I think having the madcap um, vaudevillian, like, very, like, like, Three Stooges did that a lot. Like, it was like, boom, yep. boom, boom, fast, fast. It makes it more exciting, I think. Like, that scene I, I, was I really exciting. I, I agree. I think it's because it's so unexpected from this show. I think <laughs> yeah. if this if this were to turn into a trope where we'd get madcap in every episode, it would get tired very quickly. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, great job to um, Jeremy Lloyd on this one for writing that into, for taking that direction here. Um, Captain Peacock almost gets away with it. You know, he's, uh, Mrs. Peacock comes in and he's supposed to be inspecting the painting and she believes him. Until Miss Belfridge sneezes from the closet. Of course. Cut to the floor. It's going home time. And we see that Captain Peacock has a black eye. So clearly, <laughs> Mrs. Peacock was not buying the truth. And she slugs that they were him. innocently and slugs yeah. him, right? Um, the phone rings and Miss Brown answers it. And it turns out that her friend never showed up because he had an audition. So they all put two and two together and discover that the customer who was making advances on Mrs. Slocum was real. He wasn't the actor. Oh. Right? The one who got away. Mr. Humphreys grabs the jug, puts a little behind his ears, and says, do you think this will carry to a roof terrace in Kensington? Because he wants himself a man with a rooftop in in Kensington. And then Mrs. Slocum says, I don't know, but this sure will. And she dumps the whole thing The rest of the gallon over her head. And then they dash up the stairs because they're going to go find them a man right then, (laughs) which is so cute. I love and it. it's the end of the episode. The end of the show. My my gal pal Jimmy, who for 
decades, he and I have been speaking and are you being served? You know, on, on the show, we all have those people that yeah. we know that are, are you being served fans. And we're like, well, that does suit Madam. Like, we would know what that <laughs> means, if we said, which is why we named the show that. Um, and one of the things we do is, do you think this will carry to a rooftop terrace in Kensington? You know, if I talk about, ooh, this, this, this dinner I'm cooking, Jimmy, is t- smelling so good. And then he'd say, yes, but will it carry to a rooftop in Kensington? <laughs> so those things. And this yeah. is the episode where it comes around. So much fun. Yeah. So what happens next week? So next week we go on to episode two of series nine, Conduct Unbecoming. And that's the one where Mr. Humphreys almost gets fired for stealing <gasps> from the well, don't till. don't give it away, Jeff. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Poor Mr. Humphreys. Yeah, so, spo- spoiler alert, 30 years later. Yeah, 30 years, exactly. years later. Is it too soon? <laughs> um, so that's the show, folks. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it, and hopefully we sound better than the last episode with the pilot podcast episode thing, which it's, you know, we, we kind of, we tried doing the wax cylinder from Edison. It's this new technology. <laughs> didn't really work. I don't know, but hopefully we sound better. So if you want to get in contact with us and let us know you're coming to Madam Con... In July 17th, let us know. You can do that on Facebook. Or you know Matt Baum and want him to be a guest host on our show. Or if you're Matt Baum, you can get in contact us too. And you can do that on Facebook or on Twitter at Does Suit Madam. You can write to us at that Does Suit Madam with an E at gmail.com or call the Peacock Hotline. That's 662 Peacock. Of course, that's 662 732 2625. And with that, Mr. Jeffrey, as always, you've all done very well. Bye, Unanimous. Goodbye. That Dusted Madam is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Do not use Adam and Eve perfume on domesticated cats.